Bordy. An on-location episode of the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francescanand. I'm in Casa Tony, a busy and traditional tapas bar in central Madrid with James Flick from Devour Tours and the Spain Revealed YouTube channel talking Spanish food, culture, history, beer, lamb neck glands, New Zealanders drinking in Shepherd's Bush, Russian roulette with Padron Peppers, Jesus nailed to the cross, General Franco, Civil War, Flamenco, four metre pianos, Farrah Fawcett hair, Barcelona, Cadiz, gentrification and is Spanish coffee good or bad? What don't we talk about? I don't know, but it's a brilliant conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome James Blick to the Big Travel Podcast. It's funny what you were saying about Madrid being, um, you know, landlocked and, yeah. and, you know, it's quite difficult to, to get the food in here. I remember yeah. reading this beautiful extract from Laurie Lee about yeah. the the fish trains. Because yeah. they'd have trains that used to come in every morning loaded with fish and seafood, fish. fresh yeah. from the, the seaside. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, this beautiful, evocative description about and, that. And it's interesting because it, 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 Madrid has, after the, mar- the fish market in Tokyo, it's the second largest fish market in the world. You can't visit it's like it's a, it's there for the for the fishmongers to go to in the mornings, uh, but you know our nas- well, our local street food or sandwich is the bocadillo de calamares, which is like a calamari sandwich. So why the hell, you know, do we have calamari sandwich as like the thing you eat when you're uh, you know growing up and you go to the Plaza Mayor with your parents? You eat that, uh, and why is that? Well, I mean, it's the capital in a Catholic country. And not so much these days, but back in the day, there were just a lot of dishes. Gracias. There were a lot of days you couldn't eat meat, right? Fridays, certain saints, saints feasts and things like that. So the fish was just such a critical part of the diet here. You know, and that was a big part of it, was the, was the religious element. So back when it was Laurie Lee, they shipping it. And still having, now it's on trucks. I don't know if it's on train, to be honest. But I suspect they're not dumping fish on the ave. It's, uh, I don't think there is no ave, because most of it comes from the north. So it will just be trucked in every, every day. It's just a beautiful trucks. description. And it made me do... It made me really want to Laurie, reading Laurie Lee again. Yeah. Made me really want to do some more exploration of Spain because yeah. I, I grew up here in yeah. Malaga, yeah. Yeah. on the so, south coast. Yeah, that's right. You said that from yeah. the age of seven to sixteen, and then at sixteen I was off and I went yeah. to England. And my parents still lived here, so I'd yeah. come back and visit my parents. Yeah. But I limited my travelling to travelling. I say limited. I travelled yeah. around the world, but when yeah. I came here, a bit like when you don't really explore your home country as yeah. much, do you? And you know, especially. Spain, you know, I'd just come back and see my family. So I explored quite a little bit as I got older mm. and then sort of went, you know, abroad. Yeah. So I'm really determined to now come back and start really exploring Spain. Right. And I think that's great. You know, people come to Madrid, to Barcelona, you know, there's hot spots, of course, every country has them. Uh, Seville, you know, what I want to do more and more, and, and I can't so much do it through Devour Tours because to operate, we have to be in a large city to offer tours. But, you know, particularly through, um, through the YouTube channel, is more and more travel outside Madrid, go to places that, that help promote those areas. Yeah, I mean, even Galicia, people don't go to Galicia. More and more people are going up there, but the food is incredible. And it's meant to be so wonderful and green. I haven't been to Galicia. It looks like New Zealand up there. It's not the image people have of Spain. Which know? is where you're from, so I yeah. think that, that seems a good sort of intro. Actually, let's have some beer, because we don't want to... Cheers. 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 We Salud. don't want to leave the beer, especially these are beautiful glasses. Exactly. So, yeah, it seems that let's have a bit of beer. Yeah. 
Dutch courage. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and what I love about Spanish beer is it's served in small glasses. Yeah. And it doesn't get warm. I think that's the whole point of it. It's like I can't the whole manage point. a pint in England. No. I can drink several beers, but I like a nice little small glass. Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, these are slightly larger because we're upstairs in the dining room, but as you see, the you know, the smaller ones downstairs, they serve the caña glass. And yeah, it is that. It's, it's not, it's, it's the warmth, but it's not all about the warmth. I think it also reflects the fact that, you know, I feel like when I go to a pub in England, everything gets quieter and insular. It's the carpet, the fires crackling, everything gets so kind of kind of uh, withdrawn a little bit. You walk into a, a Spanish bar and everything expands. You expand. And there's noise. There's everything. And, and so you go and you have a few beers and then you keep going. But if you have to sit on a beer, it slows the experience down. But if there's smaller beers, it, it's kind of, it's like a, there's like, it's like a punctuation mark. Like, do we get another round of cañas here or do we go next door? And it sort of creates that energy. Uh, it's like the rhythm is faster. Uh, but yet Spanish people don't seem to get as smashed as British no. people, which is interesting. <laughs> or, I think. or New Zealanders. Oh, yeah, yeah, or New yeah. Ze- exactly. Yeah. As a sort of uh, growing up, yeah, in, that, in that was our the goal. Societies. When I first moved here, I had a, I went to a party and it was a you know I'd been I'd been living here since 2011, and there was a South African guy at the party, and he was maybe 25 or something like that. I was about 32 at that point, and it, I'd gotten a little bit used to all the sort of Spanish way of going to parties that they would go, they would party, um, and you know would go late and they wouldn't drink a lot you know my wife would still be going at sort of 4am and she'd have had like four beers or something like that and we're at this party and this South African guy was drinking heavily right from sort of 7pm he was asleep by 10 o'clock I saw that and I was like yes that's that was the culture that I come from you know and you know Australia and Africa that whole kind of culture is like yeah you just get really hammered you're asleep on the sofa by 11pm and that's a success um but no, very much here. It just keeps on going. You don't rely on the alcohol as like a as like a as like a lubricant for the, for, for being social. That's what we need. We need that lubricant. But in Spain, people don't need it. I like, I, I've got the worst of both worlds in many ways. In, in the on the Costa del Sol, where I grew up in a very yeah. um, British and expat yeah. area, um, is that we'll go out early and start drinking early and yeah. still stay out until five or six. Oh in my the god! Morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Created new culture there. It's, yeah. It's the worst of. It's the best of both worlds in many yeah. ways. But actually. In terms of like going out and drinking, yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's a, the worst of both worlds. Takes its we toll. Were, yeah, we try and pace ourselves more. And yeah. but I, I love that about here in Spain. I love those late nights. I love that you can easily go dancing yeah. somewhere and see a band. And you can, to a certain extent, where we live in London. You yeah. know, London's you know twenty four hour city in many yeah. ways, but it's it's not the same. It's not yeah. as easy. It's not as. I think it's the there. easy thing, and I mean, I haven't lived in London, but I know, say, in. New Zealand, there's, there's a certain compactness of the cities where a lot of the people are going out, and there's an energy about it that you can, you can, you know, go to multiple places. It's not as formal. You're not going to sit down for dinner necessarily, and so the fact is, you can just walk into a place, you meet there, and invent the evening as you go. And then maybe you end up dancing, or maybe you don't, or whatever it is. And I like that idea that we don't make plans here in the same way. You'll plan when to meet. Nobody's quite sure what's going to happen after that. Uh, and I think in New Zealand it would be a little bit more like, well, we've got a reservation at this place, and then maybe we'll do this. And, and here, you know, when I met my wife, and I would be more coming from that perspective of, like, what's the plan? She'll be like, hey, chill out. Like, don't, yeah. don't you know, like, I don't know. And, and I realize I've learned how to think like a Spaniard a little bit. And when you come, you come with your the questions that you would ask in your culture. You're like, well, why is that not open? Or what, what's the plan? What are we doing? And then you learn over time that, that it's actually pointless to ask those questions and you stop asking you start asking other questions you know like you know who are we meeting for starters you know hey we've got some in. food wonderful so we've got some I should take a photo really some oh the mushrooms look amazing yeah 
So if you don't mind, yeah, I'm going please. to get you to explain what yeah. we've got here. Okay. I know exactly what we've got here, but for anyone who doesn't. You ready? Okay, so what we have here, we're at Casa Tony in the middle of Madrid. We've got four different dishes. There's another one coming. We've got the famous pimientos de padron. These are green peppers from the north of Spain, uh, and they're flash fried in olive oil, some salt scattered over the top, and that's it. Some of them are sometimes spicy. Generally more in August, you'll find spicier ones, but it's a little bit of Russian roulette. You never know what's going to be spicy. Patatas bravas, really simple tapa, but delicious. What I love about how they do them at Casa Tony is they're double fried, so they're pillowy on the inside, crispy on the outside, and they make their own brava sauce which is great because a lot of places don't make their own brava sauce and just mix ketchup and Tabasco you don't want that then we have um, and it shows the simplicity of tapas this is just some grilled mushrooms some grilled wild mushrooms they put them on the grill bit of garlic bit of salt serve it with a slice of lemon you squeeze it on and that's all it is so simple and I think what I love about these tapas bars is that a lot of what we have in front of us is there's not a lot of cooking necessarily going in of combining ingredients it's about taking great produce doing something with it throwing it on the grill and that's that Chopitos, baby cuttlefish. So these are these are battered. What I love how they do these, they're very tender, they're more tender than calamari, I find, is that they're beer battered, but literally that means that they open the tap of beer over the top of them and then dunk them in the flour and the batter and then just fry them. And that's all it is. And usually they'll serve these things with a little slice of lemon and you squeeze it over the top and you, and you get stuck in. You'll notice we don't have any plates, individual plates. You don't want those because you're just going to use your fingers or fork in the middle. We share the food. It's almost like if we're eating at a Chinese restaurant, you just kind of, you're all reaching past each other and that's part of the beauty of tapas is you're reaching into other people's personal space and that means you connect more uh, that's what I love about it I love it the way you kicked into your YouTube personality there really like <laughs> yeah um, so tell us about the uh, the YouTube. Like, tell us. Well, let's let's eat as well. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense. As this is the first time I've done this, I don't know how to sort of eat and talk. What do you do? Do you eat and talk? Yeah, yeah. You know, just eat, talk, pick things up. And, yeah. Um, a bit of lemon. Yeah. Oh, I got a spicy one. Oh, did you? Um, do you know what? I yeah. don't think I've ever got a spicy one. It's very rare. It's just so nice. It's just so simple, but so nice, isn't it? Exactly. So how did I get to Spain? Growing up in New Zealand, you're always far away from everything. And my family had always traveled a lot, lived in Asia, so travel was kind of a part of our DNA. We lived in LA for a while when I was growing up. And I got to a point, you know, as a Kiwi, what you do is you do your OE, your overseas experience. You usually go to London, get a flat in Shepherd's Bush, and, you know, drink for a year or two. And we know those people. <laughs> exactly. We've seen those people. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and it's kind of part of the rite of passage. I think for me, when I got to about 25, I didn't want to do that. I'd be working as a lawyer. I had a law degree, worked as a lawyer, hated law, moved into uh, working in production and advertising. Uh, it was what my family's in, in, in filmmaking. But I was like, I, I want to get out of here. I want to kind of explore the world. I don't want to go to England. I want to go to Europe. I was in love with kind of the, the European dream. So I moved to France uh, to teach English under the under the kind of... The plan was obviously to meet a French woman. Uh, and I met a Spanish woman in France. So I was living in Toulouse in southern France for a year. And then three months in, I met... Yolanda, who's now my wife, she was doing the same thing, not looking for a French man. She was just looking to kind of get out. She'd studied French. Or a French. Kiwi. Or a Kiwi. She would not look going to France looking for a Kiwi. That would be a very roundabout way. But, you know, she was just looking to get out of home and finished her degree in translation interpreting. So we're in France. 
we started this relationship. We were there for about eight months together, speaking in French because she wasn't confident with her Sp- with her English. I didn't speak any Spanish. We spoke terrible French to each other. Her French is better than mine. And and then it was like, well, what do we do now? But what I realized is when you move countries, nobody knows you in the new country, so that gives you kind of carte blanche to reinvent yourself because there's nobody to dis- disappoint. There's nobody to see at the pub on a weekend, and they're like, oh, did you quit your job? What are you doing? Bocadones have arrived. Exactly, the bocadones in Binagre have arrived. One of my favorite tapas in the world. Very healthy too. Yeah, they are healthy, aren't they? They are. Well, they're drenched in olive oil. Some people would see that as unhealthy, but it is actually healthy. It is healthy. Well, it hasn't been fried, so they just take the anchovies, they fillet them, drop them in vinegar for a few hours, which effectively pickles them lightly, and then a little bit of garlic, olive oil, and that's it. Um, and anchovies are pretty sustainable as well, so it's good. Um, so we're here, and I'm working in advertising, and I hate advertising. I'm like, well, why didn't I just quit? I've got nobody to kind of front up to at the pub and be like, oh, I quit my job. or, And so I did, and I was like, I'm going to be a travel writer. I'm falling in love with Spain. I'm learning about this place. I want to share it. I want to talk about it. So I started... Um, so I started talking... So I started writing, thinking I'd be published in the New York Times within about you know, three weeks, and it'd be great, and I'd be paying the rent as a travel writer. Oh, yeah. Amazing, the whole dream. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, I did sort of you'd send off these long articles. I didn't even have this concept that that would fill an entire travel section. The articles I was sending off to all, all kind of uh, travel uh, editors, it just wasn't hearing back. So slowly it was like, it started to pick up a little bit. It was like, I need to make a little money here. So I started uh, thinking, I could be a guide. I'm learning all this information. Guiding pays well. And I started connecting with a few people who had guiding companies here. And I found a woman, her name's Lauren, who had just started leading food tours uh, in, in Madrid. And we teamed up. I designed an evening tapas tour, and that led to the foundation of Devour Tours, which is kind of my day job running that. But I don't guide anymore. I now run the company. And so what happened? to kind of build that out is you know we really help connect I guess people who are coming with the, with places like we're at now like Casatoni because if you walk around here there's so many places that are tourist traps or are just chains or are uninteresting and have no sense of place so we want to say well if you're coming to Madrid if we sit at this table I can help you understand Madrid through this food and that's really the, the idea but when I stopped guiding because I'm running the company I love guiding I love talking about this so I started a YouTube channel to kind of guide instead of one to one one to many and that's been growing a lot and that's called Spain Revealed and the idea there is really the same thing to share my love and passion for Spain with people who are coming there kind of trying to take them beyond the guidebook I read guidebooks and I'm like does that person live here and you know guidebooks often seem to have a lot of recommendations in them um, that are kind of like yeah that place is gone isn't good anymore or so I kind of want to give something a little bit more updated a little bit more dynamic uh, and so that's what I do I make videos with my wife we go on tapas crawls together we do videos at home we talk about Spanish culture and it's kind of taken on a life of its own and that's kind of my life now day it sounds and night like a, it sounds like a very charmed life and yeah. something that a lot of people dream of doing has there been any downsides to it? I work a lot particularly balancing two things I think that's uh, that's been a challenge of kind of juggling a lot of balls um, you know what there hasn't been that many just the normal challenges of growing something and figuring it out and learning you know I, I wish I'd started the YouTube channel earlier for example but no there hasn't been too many downsides I think one of the challenges I find more and more is that my job is to be at bars and that <laughs> that, that, that can be charmed in some ways but also you think oh you know if I worked at a bank I'd just go home at 6 o'clock and not have to kind of then go and you know be in a bar somewhere at 9 
9 p.m. Uh, so you start to think, well, what does this look like long term? Um, but more and more also on the channel, I want to talk about things beyond food because my interest in Spain is not just the food. Food is just a fascinating way to help people understand a, a place. Um, there's a place next door that's famous for its chili uh, chili prawns, Gambas Alajillo. They started making that dish after the Spanish Civil War because there was a bread shortage. They used to make sandwiches, and so they made mushroom. shrimp. So suddenly it's like, if I, if I say to you, hey, let me tell you about Franco, you'd be like, oh my God. But if I say, well, let me tell you about Franco through the history of this dish, suddenly it helps the medicine go down. You're talking about the person who did their dissertation at university on the history of Spain through festivals and Is, Does that exist? I would, yeah. Through from General Franco onwards so I'm, okay. I am absolutely fascinated by that yeah. particularly at this time and the yeah. Franco you know it's just Spain is like the, the biggest place for the most popular place for UK tourists to visit yeah. you know millions of us come here every year but we don't understand what we were walking the same streets where very great atrocities happened yeah. and even until the 70s people were not allowed to meet in the streets more than three people meeting in the street was considered a you know a potential uprising yeah. you weren't allowed to wear bikinis or skinny yeah. clothes and that's it you know in the early 70s when places like Torremolinos and ben- Benidorm were becoming very fashionable and popular yeah. and actually in a, in a very um, sort of upper class way at yeah. first you know yeah. people talk about those places now as being like a sort of down market tourist destination they were the beginning of they you know sun of sand and the whole the whole deal Absolutely. No, it's true. Speaking to my wife about when her parents got married in the early 70s, I guess it would have been, uh, mid-70s, you know, her mother was not allowed to open a bank account without her husband's, you know, my father-in-law's permission. And, you know, all these kind of rules that obviously don't exist anymore. But I, I always feel like when you're in Spain, you're touching the past constantly. And you know, I've, I haven't lived, you know, years in France, and maybe it's the same, or Germany or the UK. Certainly as a Kiwi boy, you don't feel that in the same way in New Zealand. But in Spain, you feel like there is, maybe because the, the dictatorship lasted until the 70s, there were certain just things that held on, and, and are still with us today. Uh, you know, even the kind of the macho culture and things like that. Having said that, in the last 10 years that I've been in Madrid, or almost 10 years, I've seen a lot of change, and a lot of uh, globalization kind of creeping in that was not here 10 years ago so you know even just walking to this bar now to meet there 10 years ago there would have been more traditional places around here but you know opposite there used to be a ham place now it's gelato so more and more it's like well what is that you know there's even a laundromat up there you know what laundromat means it means Airbnbs are in here so more and more it's like these places we have to fight for them not just us but also locals but it's hard when you're a local as you say you don't know your own country sometimes you don't know what you got till you haven't got it you know what it's it's really funny you should say that and I want us to eat so do, do some eating no don't worry I'm going to um, eat uh, but uh, it's really funny you should say that because as a resident of the Costa del Sol and one of those touristy towns we're talking about I moved to Fuenguela when I was seven years old in 1981 so yeah. I've seen wow. some great changes however the, the changes that I've seen the changes that I've seen in the last 10 years have actually been very positive ones mm, um, 10 or 15 years because in the 80s and 90s um, in, the, in the 70s as well it was like Benidorm and Tremolinos it was subject to a lot of deregulated or unregulated building where mm. apartments shot up everywhere yeah. really ugly trashed the seafront yeah. became very bucket and spade very fish and chips very um, yeah. Uh, you know, sort of uh, English breakfast and yeah. very down market. In the 80s and 90s, particularly in the 90s when I became aware of this, I got a little bit ashamed of the place. Yeah. I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit embarrassing. It's not Even considered. the word Costa del Sol kind of exactly. has a whole a lot of has, connotations. Has connotations. In the last 10 to 15 years, and I've written about this for the National Geographic Traveller, it's changed 
100% for the better. The people have realised, you know, it's that you know the mayor, the mayoress has been amazing, and yeah, you know, the people good. in the in the local government have been amazing. They've redone all the seafronts. Mm. They've in Fangoyla Town Centre. Yeah. They've pedestrianised all the little tiny Spanish roads, and they are now full of tapas bars. Yeah. Whereas to get traditional tapas like this, yeah. we used to have to go out to town. We used to have to go to Malaga City or some of the back streets that were sort of further along into Fangoyla. There'd be like yeah. one or two in the centre of town. Yeah. Now they're everywhere. But yeah. you cannot move. I think, you know, I can think of like 300 in the town centre. And from gourmet food and modern Spanish tapas, because modern Spanish food is, is amazing and yeah. got a great reputation, particularly up north, yeah. to, you know, the very cheap and cheerful. Yeah. And it's wonderful. It's really, really lovely to see. And even anecdotally amongst my peers, like back in London, which mm. considers itself the coolest place on the planet, yeah. whether for better or for worse, yeah. people are going, oh, yeah, we're going to Fungabola. We're going to... Oh, really? And it's, you know, I can, even anecdotally, I can see that it's changed, that it's actually okay to go there now. It's coming back. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not even, you know, it, it's back. It's back. With a with a bang, and it's and it's funny that in Madrid you're seeing almost the erosion slightly of some of that sort of Spanish culture. Yeah, it's true. It's it's interesting how a country, particularly you know a bigger country, it's it's not one place. You know, Spain is very much not one place. With particularly you know the the secessionist movement in Catalonia and things like that, it's very much a, a region of different peoples thrust together. As I recall, sixteen autonomous regions, but that's going back to my uh, exactly. school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I've, I haven't thought about that since since I was twelve. And they, and they are autonomous regions. You know, uh, more kind of maybe feel more autonomous than others, and it's so interesting how you can think about it. So, whereas you think about the north of Spain just starting to get tourists, whereas the south of Spain has had it for a decade, had them for decades. And Madrid, I think, what I'm seeing in Madrid is at a local level, locals are falling back in love with their traditions. So a lot of newer tapas bars that are opening are recalling kind of older Madrid tapas bars. You're seeing that kind of trend. But they're still, they're, they're still possibly got like some sort of restaurant group behind them. So you have Casatoni, David and Juan, their brothers, you know, and, and that, that kind of place is less and less because in the center the rents are such that you just can't survive. I don't know what that means down the down the line, but you know when you when you when you generate when you create a bar in the image of something, it's inherently less organic, it's inherently a little less interesting. So I'm seeing a lot of that, and I'm seeing it in the food as well. It's interesting where I live in Delicia, a neighborhood just to just about ten minute metro right away. There was a new bar that opened, celebrating the whole vermouth tradition, you know, which is very historic in Madrid, but went out of fashion, but came back in the last five years, became very hipster to drink vermouth. And they have different tapas and exotic, traditional Madrid tapas, but they're kind of soulless a little bit. And then there's a place down the road run by this guy who has the wonderful name of Dionisio Dionysus. And he's been there for, you know, 30, 40 years, and he's cooking great food on the grill, and the recipes are better. And so I fear that if those places close, we lose some of the recipes as well. The great way of making cathon, which is, you know, marinated in, uh, in vinegar, um, shark, effectively, or dogfish, it's called. I've had it in both places, and it's phenomenal in the old place, and it's just kind of like a bland, you know, cardboard cutout version in the new place. And it's like, what if we lose those recipes, or we lose the skill of doing it well? Then that would be sad. Yeah, I, I get what you mean in, in, in talking about the places in Fangwola. You know, the resurgence of things. Some of those, some of that resurgence has been those those chains, and they, they for all, there are Irish bars for 
all the world they look like you know they've been there a hundred years yeah. but actually they've brought in the tiles they're brand new they're part of the chain and they yeah. sort of hide behind that yeah. uh, so there is definitely that going on yeah. so do you think there has been a problem with you know you mentioned Airbnb and you know Barcelona has really had a very serious issue and people turning against tourism yeah. do you think Madrid has been subject to those sort of issues as well not quite yet Madrid is Barcelona's historic centre uh, the Bourne and the Gothic Quarter particularly the Gothic Quarter very small area and so it just feels much more intense the, the presence of tourists you know the streets are even narrower Madrid hasn't quite felt it the same way there it is there is that concern uh, and that pushback against say Airbnb and, and the touristification of, of the centre but it's not quite at the same level as Barcelona but it will come if it, if it continues you know I mean the main driver for that for people's concerns are, are rent you know rent rises and uh, even you know where I live outside the centre rents have shot up dramatically in the past couple of years past three years and so yeah you kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater. it's like yeah okay someone comes in with their interest in making more money but then the very thing that people were coming for originally disappears. And so, like, where does that leave us, you know? The, the, the differences between Madrid and Barcelona are, are intriguing as well, because Barcelona seems to be, and I don't know how this lies in, in terms of official figures, but it seems to be the more popular place for people to visit. I was speaking to some local uh, friends in London the other day, and one of them Spanish, and he's from Spain. And he's like, oh, I've never been to Madrid. Yeah. And actually, this is only my second time Where is he from in Spain? Oh, that, that's a very good point. You said he's, he's from from Barcelona from Catalonia so you know there might be some historic sort of issues with that but I think like everyone when I meet people in the north of England they say they've never been to London I kind of look at them with a bit of a raised eyebrow really your capital city you've never even been yeah I mean there's a lot built into that particularly if he's Catalan and he may never come to Madrid which may have never had reason to, but there may be something for him around what Madrid represents in terms of central government and oppression and things like that. But you do see um, they are very, very different cities. And, you know, Madrid's tourism... Madrid is growing in popularity. I'm, you know, I'm seeing that because people are starting to look for alternatives to Barcelona because of... Well, first of all, everyone's been there once, right? And so when I used to give tours and I would meet people here in Madrid, and I'd be like, have you been to Spain before? And they'd be like, yeah, I've been to Barcelona. And I'd be like, of course. And they'd never been to Madrid, which I thought was great. It's like, okay, I've got like virgins in front of me. I can really help you understand this place. Um, but it's normal that that happens, that there's that one destination. But I think what we're seeing now is, you know, there was an article in the New York Times recently saying, you know, what are the alternatives to famous destinations? And instead of going to Barcelona, go to Valencia. And I'm seeing some of that surge happening for Madrid because people are saying, well, maybe Madrid's more quote authentic than Barcelona if it's been kind of over you know over touristed and those real places kind of don't exist anymore um, but you know it also depends on the generation of people my parents-in-law uh, actually my, my mother-in-law recently went to Portugal for the first time but before that they never left the country they're in their 60s that's very much of that generation as well of of like a time going through a dictatorship where I assume it was a very kind of you kept to yourself you kept to your family you, 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 it was a kind of an insular time and that created a certain maybe culture around not too much movement around the country but but yeah I don't know how it is in England it's true everybody it's almost like nobody's a Spaniard everybody identifies with their pueblo you know and that is the true nationality um, and their pueblo is always the best pueblo in Spain and so you do really feel that even reading books you know Laurie Lee or going back further to George George um, George Borrow people identified with the regions and not necessarily with the country now more we do now probably since joining the EU 
but but I think it's still strong. It's still there. It's like I'm Catalan or I'm Gallego. You know, it's almost if, if people are going to be the most into call themselves Spanish, it's probably Madrid because you don't have the complex against Madrid because you're from Madrid potentially. Um, but it is very much a country of villages and kingdoms. There's so many things I want to ask you. I feel like I could veer into politics right now, into history, into culture. But I'm going to concentrate on you because we like personal stories on this yeah. podcast. So, what has been your what is what would you say has been your standout Madrid moment? If you were to write your memoirs, what has been like maybe the best night out? Mm, wow, that's a re- that's a really hard question. There's a place in <clears throat> if anyone ever comes to Madrid, I need the, I just got a hot pepper, so I need to drink some oh, beer. Oh, really? Oh, great! <laughs> you got the uh, the Russian the pepper roulette. Um, I could do with another beer, actually. Yeah, like we'll wave, wave one down. As I was sipping that beer, I just turned to my left and saw the building next to me be gutted, no doubt, to become a hotel. So, what a beautiful uh, building, though, with the I know. shutters. Well, the fact really is, we lovely. don't want to lose it either. So, no, I guess it's just progress, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's you know. one of those beautiful, you know, because we're in a very narrow alleyway, and yeah. you know, everyone can sort of visualise those wooden shuttered, slatted shutters and uh, wrought iron, tiny little. Uh, Juliet balconies they're called aren't they exactly yeah it's a beautiful really but it's been beautiful, empty yeah. for a while so yeah so it's probably want? a good thing it's probably a good thing because it will, it will preserve um, I'll wave down Juan for more beer when, yeah, when, beer, he, when he looks up yeah. standout moment that's a hard one there's been a lot of kind of you know important moments I guess in Madrid there's a piano bar which is quite surreal in the Chueca neighborhood called Tony Dos or Tony Two and it's just something that is so Spanish and so out of this world. It, it only really kicks off at about 11 p.m. And usually you go about 1 a.m. And there's this sort of four-meter-long piano. And it's surrounded by what we call pijos, which is very wealthy, Spanish, you know, upper class. And they've all got far faucet hairdos and look like footballers. And, and you go and you surround this piano. And everybody's singing these kind of, you know... You know, Yo Soy del Mediterráneo, all these kind of classic Spanish songs, and um, and and it's just this kind of wonderful moment of, of Spanishness, I guess, where where everybody everybody kind of just kind of looks like they're from the 70s and, and there's something very Madrid about that that almost Madrid has this timeless quality that although you know we can be fashionable and things like that there's a, there's an element to, to the city which always feels like you could be in any age no matter what you know you turn around you could be in the 40s looking down the street or you could be in there you're in the 70s and it looks like Dallas or something like that and I think that for me is Madrid is this kind of village like quality that it has although it's a huge capital where people will come together surround a piano and chat to each other and sing these kind of Spanish classics and although there's probably dukes and duchesses around there and then there's kind of you know people who are not dukes and duchesses in our you know middle class or whatever everybody kind of comes together and, and I don't know there's something kind of kind of powerful it's, it, it's not even moving it's just very Spanish and I don't know any other country that I've been in where people come together quite in the same way in like a bar and, and you have all kind you know even here in Casatoni you'll have I've been in a, I've been in Casatoni and sat down next to a guy in a tuxedo you know we're at wooden tables this is a real tavern and then you've got you know the plumber over at the next table and I think these kind of places what I love about Madrid is it just brings everyone together and so any night in these places is, is for me just fantastic and if you're in New Zealand you're going to be in like a working man's pub or you're going to be in a, in, a, in a fancy restaurant everyone's wearing the right clothes for that place but these kind of places people just come together and that doesn't mean that it's all you know perfect and harmonious and things like that but but Spanish bars and piano this piano bar or Casatoni 
there's just a, there's a great leveler uh, and there's just so much wonderful energy and people just talk to each other so I don't know I, I, you have to go to Tony Dos it's a pretty phenomenal place well we are in Casa Tony so Tony Dos has got nothing there to do there you go no Tony, completely Tony yeah I don't want to confuse people yeah because to Tony Dos is Tony 2 where's Tony 1 yeah exactly this must be Tony 1 conoces Tony Dos el bar en Chueca no te suena ah sí nunca has estado pues tendrías que muy súper tarde sí a partir de las 2 si hay un piano súper largo hay gente alrededor cantando canciones bueno tradicionales y tal muy pijo sí como tú un pelín facha a lo mejor también como tú gracias so, I, I always interpreted when growing up I always thought pijo was like snob that's how I saw pijo yeah no pijo is like preppy it's like old money yeah um, they have there's a lot of that in Spain there's a lot of that in Spain yeah and that you know it's like winners write history right? it's like there's a great civil uh, there's a great documentary about the civil war I think it's Granada TV British Granada not Spanish yeah. Granada <laughs> and um And it's about the Civil War. And it's, you know, people who are still alive from having fought or lived through the Civil War. And you can see who won the Civil War. It's like all these lawyers sitting in nice offices are on the winning side. And everybody who lost, they're sitting in their in their living room in tetty couches and, and sofas and telling their side of the story. And, and that legacy still hangs on. So there's kind of, you know, I don't know what it's like in England, but there's a very entrenched kind of upper class that follows certain modalities, what you wear, where you go. You go to Tony Dos, you're still joined by this common kind of cultural element you still know the same songs but you live a very different life oh yeah that is still absolutely ongoing in the UK isn't it it really is absolutely and you know talking a second about the le legacy of the civil war I mean god I could go on about this for ages but you drive around Andalusia where people literally starve to death yeah. you know people literally starve to death in Andalusia yeah. and you drive around the inner hills you only have to go like 10 minutes off the coast up to even Mijas you know a very touristy village now and you can see the remnants of people's houses that they just left the old thinkers the old yeah. you know hand built buildings yeah. you know farmhouses and tiny mountain houses that they just had to leave and never came back never came and back. they're still exhuming bodies and things now aren't of course. they you know? yeah. I, have you been to the to where Franco is buried the Valley of the Fallen I've yeah. never been and I, I always I, I wonder whether I'd like to go but I, I probably would like to go I think you should it. go I think you have that curiosity I've been a couple times from uh, writing an article and things like that and um, I just think it's something that again last time I was there it's kind of when people come to visit who are interested in history that's on my to-do list you know it's like you've got to see this place it's it's it, it's surreal that it still exists um, that he's still buried there in, a, in effectively a church um, there's mass every day and, and what's surreal is when you go to the Valley of the Fallen it's it's like something out of Tolkien you're walking into this basilica that's carved out of the granite in the rock and you walk into this place and there's like huge statues of archangels with swords at the ready and hooded monks looking down as you as you walk through and then you arrive to this kind of crucifix and it's this it's Christ on the cross but it's not even a normal cross it's this gnarled kind of wood sort of like a long kind of two literal branches that are very gnarled so it's I mean it's like you couldn't Catholicism is great at drama right you couldn't yeah, cut, the lighting is perfect you know it's like when you walk into churches sometimes and it's dark and then suddenly like the automatic light goes on and it's like perfectly there on Christ with the blood and things like that it's like they got it nailed and so you go to the nailed is a terrible word yeah, exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> very, yeah exactly. 
literally nailed. It literally nailed. And so you walk into the Valley of the Fallen, and you're like, how? And, and there's Franco buried behind the cross, flowers on his grave. And when I took my family up to show them this place, because I thought they'd be very curious about it, uh, there was a guy who walked in with flowers, did the did the kind of fascist salute as he walked in over Franco's grave and put flowers down. And that happens there every day. And because and it's civil war, like in the UK, you know, we've had our fair share of wars, but they haven't been on our land, or not for many, many years. Yeah. And because it's civil war, there's people living, there's old people right now living side by side, yeah. you know, that, that fought against each other and hated each other, and yeah. they've just got to get, and they've got on with it for yeah. so, so many years. Anyway, I could go on about this forever. <laughs> I think that, well, we've got food to finish, we've got beers to drink, and just to sum it up, what do you think are your top three food experiences in Madrid? If Good question. Can, if I mean, can. I don't want to. I want to give Casatoni a lot of business. I don't want to overload them too much, but I think this is one of the places that I love because it's this yummy, it's simple, it's cheap, it's in the center. There's not many local places here still. So Casatoni would be one of them. I think going to a market, going to a traditional market, people sometimes think the Mercado San Miguel is a traditional market. It's not. It's a gourmet tapas hall. So I would go to a market like Mercado de la Paz or the Anton Martin market. These are places where you can go and you can buy, particularly if you want to eat great ham and great cheese and buy great wine if you order those in a tapas bar you're going to pay a huge premium on them and all they're going to do is carve it the same as the guy in the market so going to a market and ordering those things and having a picnic is one of the best ways to, to more cost effectively try these incredible products that don't need to be prepared or cooked where would you have that picnic oh in that's the, the second thing isn't it I'm sorry I'm interrupting you no no, no no well number three I, well number two can be market and picnic market and picnic and so I would have a picnic in the Retiro Park and if it's winter I don't know do it in your hotel room but just a great place to try these de- de- delicious things um, um, number three, wow, that's a good one. What would I say is a great food experience? I think just the experience of going out for tapas and doing it, quote unquote, the right way. And there's not many wrong ways, uh, but I think the right way is, is is understanding that tapas is not a plate of food. If you think it's a plate of food, and it kind of is, look, you know, we have tapas in front of us, you're, you're looking at it too limited in a too limited way. You have to think of tapas as we in Spain think about it as a verb. Tapear, it's an action. And and, it, and it's kind of a way of going out. So yeah, you're going to eat food. You're going to be sharing plates with people. You're going to be reaching across people. You're going to be standing at the bar. You're going to be striking up a conversation with the person next to you. You're going to be going somewhere else maybe after a few beers. So I think understanding that tapear is is what tapas is, the verb. It's, it's the sharing. It's the energy. It's the dynamism of it. And, you know, the food can be anything, but it's the activity which kind of intense. So, so try and kind of grasp that I try and give a sense of that in my videos so people can kind of see it because it's hard to get it until you see it or do it Uh, so try and do it you know talk to people even if you don't speak much Spanish like Maybe they'll speak a bit of English, but try and get that. You know, have a couple of beers to get Dutch courage. But that's part of it. That's wonderful. So I'm going to ask you my last question. My last question is always about music. Because yeah. I believe that for many people, for me certainly, music and travel go hand in hand. Yeah. If you had to think of one song that reminds you of a memorable time or place of travel, what would that one song be and where were you? It would have to be flamenco, that genre, which is from the south of Spain. It's from the Cadiz area originally, but it has a very murky history when quite sure. I mean, flamenco means someone from from someone who's Flemish, and so why is that the name of the word? You know, we don't know, but my wife is very into it. I love flamenco, so it would be flamenco. And there's an album uh, that came out a couple years ago. Uh, it was nominated for a Grammy by a flamenco singer called Antonio Reyes, 
and it's a live album and there's one song and it doesn't really have a name as such that I remember because flamenco songs is traditional lyrics but, but the palo the type of song is an alegria which is the I kind of the happier and the beautiful oh, I used to dance those they're so wonderful and it's a song that just talks about uh, you know in the way that flamenco does talks about very simple things like I'm just I was walking down the road one day and I got it got dark and I got lost and I was trying to go by the light of my cigarette but I lost my way and I couldn't find the mill you know very simple stuff but when I think of that it just reminds me of being in, in southern Spain in Cadiz which is for me one of the most magical parts of Spain uh, and, I, and Cadiz is a region it's also a city as a city for me it is the most fascinating city in, in the entire country it's this little spit of land out into the Atlantic been inhabited but thousands of years Phoenicians Romans Greeks have all been there and just built up on layers and it feels like a poor man's Seville in a lot of ways and even the stonework and the buildings have like shells in them oyster shells because of they've been pulled up from the sea and you can feel the decadence of kind of like the time when that was where all the wealth was coming from the Americas but then it went into decay and I think flamenco's kind of come out of that period of this time of kind of poverty and, and yet joy in the simple things and I think that makes me think of being in Cardiff with my wife sipping sherry and walking through those narrow streets oh and I've been there and I've done it and I've yeah. sipped that sherry and walked through those narrow streets and I absolutely love it I'm a total yeah. spanglophile as are you <laughs> uh, we've got beer to finish and drinks to have and I also want to have coffee mm. and you and I spoke on the phone yeah. about the coffee because I think that Spanish coffee is one of the best in the world and you've done a YouTube video recently saying that you think it's rubbish yeah. so we're on I don't know it, it, I have Spanish coffee in Andalusia and it's amazing I'm going to have a Madrid coffee and see who's right about You this. are. You're going to have to see it. Uh, you're going to see who's right. I mean, coffee is... Taste is memory and, 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 and emotion is built into taste. So everybody has those different, you know, associations. But yeah, there's... People can check it out in the YouTube video. There's a certain process applied to Spanish coffee, which can make it very dark and bitter. Uh, but I've had people come up to me and say the same thing. It's like, I love it. I love it. You know, it was amazing. I sometimes wonder if it's the same reason that people say to me, I, I can never get hangovers in, when I'm in Spain, you know, because oh, the wine has less... No, exactly. We're like, oh, there's less sulfites in the wine. It's like, no, you were just on holiday and you had yeah. a great time. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't notice it. To work exactly. So I think that's it. But, um, but yeah, coffee, I mean, it, 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 they don't actually serve coffee in Casatoni. Oh, we'll have to go somewhere exactly. else. Exactly. You have to go somewhere else. But I have got a recommendation where you can get a very local coffee that for me would blow my head off, but you're going to love it. What yeah. is it? It's a place called La Mallorquina. So it's a place right on the Puerta del Sol. It's like the best pastry shop for me, traditional pastry shop in the city. It's always rammed with grandmothers pushing you out of the way. Uh, but they have a bar. You can stand there. You can eat something sweet. The Napolitana de Crema. It's like a, it's like a pan of chocolate but with, with, with like pastry cream inside. It's the classic. And you can get a good dark torrefacto cup of coffee, maybe with milk or not, you know. And uh, the screech of the coffee machine is going the whole time. There's rubbish on the floor. The whole thing. The full deal. Well, that's wonderful. That's been so enjoyable thank you so much for coming on the big travel podcast oh thank you for having me lisa thank you so much james for a really enjoyable lunch and conversation about one of my favorite countries we have more on location episodes coming up tuscany and new york to start with it's been a very busy few weeks thank you so much for listening
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.